The glory of Christmas is one of the most exciting things we do here at Northridge. Not only is it the biggest outreach event of the year, but it's run almost entirely by volunteers. And that's where you come in. Whether it's behind the scenes or on the stage, we have tons of opportunities for you to get involved. For more details and to sign up, go to northridgechurch.com slash GOC volunteer. Hey, Northridge. Oh, it's so good to be with you. I'm Mike Foster, and uh, this is my first time here, and I am so pumped to uh, be with you guys this morning, and uh, I want to welcome all the other locations who are joining us. We love you guys, and all those who are joining online, we're glad you're here, too. It's, uh, it's going to be a great morning. I... Uh, I got the greatest job in the world, I really do. I spend my life helping people embrace their second chance, to uh, just, just find meaning and purpose in their setbacks. And, and those things that are in our lives that maybe have not gone the way we thought they would go, it's come alongside people in, in group-like settings and in one-on-one -on -one counseling, and I create tools and write books to help people embrace that not-so-perfect story. How many of you this morning have a not-so-perfect story? Yeah, me too, man. And it's just a reality of life. And uh, I, I just want, I want my life and my ministry and the work that I do just to, to remind people just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. And, and just because you made a mistake does not mean that you are a mistake. And I realize our, our, we live in a world and a society that says, you know, when you make a mistake or you do something wrong or you, you, you screw it up, you know, there's sort of this, the world says shame on you, all right? 
But Jesus has a different message. Jesus says, shame off of you. I want to give you a fresh start and a new beginning. I, uh, I live in San Diego, which is really tough. Um, I realize that. I uh, live there, grew, born and raised in Southern California. I've been married to my lovely wife, Jennifer, for 22 years. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy that she's still with me. That's what's crazy about that. Um, and I got two teenage kids, and I'm just having, having the joy of my life. But it wasn't always that way. Think about my personal story. And I tell people all the time that when it comes to grace, when it comes to second chances, you know, I'm kind of both the physician and the patient. It's almost like I, I do my ministry for me because <laughs> I need it. And uh, it, it's because of my story. And my story is a rough story. It's, kind of, it, it's not a story that sort of has just sailed along really nicely. And it's just all these mountaintop experiences and rainbows and unicorns. No, my story's actually pretty painful and traumatic. Started early in my, my childhood when I was 13 years old. I was uh, sexually molested by a family friend. And having just that, that bomb go off in the middle of your childhood... And just all the ripple effects of that in terms of who I thought I was and the shame that was attached to that and just working through that over literally decades of my life. And then when I was 19 years old, I was on the Colorado River. I was driving a boat and uh, pulling a skier and we began to, I began to turn the boat into what I thought was clear water, but it wasn't clear water. There was another skier that had fallen, and uh, as I was turning, I didn't see him until it was too late, and I wasn't able to turn this, this boat, my boat in time, and I, I hit him. And it was a horrific, horrific accident. In fact, I didn't just sort of bump him or brush by him. I, literally, the propeller of the boat ran down his arm, and um, it, it was gory. And uh, they, they would medevac him out to the hospital and There'd be a lawsuit, there'd be criminal charges pressed against me, even though it was a complete accident. The, the, it was so serious that the district attorney had, said there had to be justice here. And then, of course, that internal struggle of, of realizing that I was the perpetrator in this act. I was the one, I was the reason why this man would now be permanently disfigured for the rest of his life. We all have these moments, and maybe, you know, later on in my life, in my career, I, I remember bankrupting a business and literally losing all of our, our money through this really bad uh, business investment. I remember being betrayed horribly by a friend and being publicly humiliated and embarrassed online. And we all have these moments that just go, gosh, man, where is the redo button, right? Where is the erase button? Where is the, where, God, like, where are you in the midst of my rock bottom moments? You know what I, I learned about rock bottom? And maybe you've learned this too, that, that there isn't just sort of rock bottom, but rock bottom has a trap door. <laughs> and you thought you hit rock bottom, and then you go even lower. And some of you have been there, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, man, God, where, where were you in the valley? Where were you in the pit? And, 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 and the Bible tells us, and that's what I want to look at today, is that God was with us, and God is near us, and that God loves us, and he is not abandoning us, even though life can be traumatic and painful. 
And here's what I believe, and it basically comes down to this, that there is nothing so broken in your life right now that God can't mend it. That there's nothing so lost that he can't find it, and there is nothing so dead in your life right now that he can't resurrect it. That's what he wants to do. And if you have your Bibles, I want to look at this passage in Revelation 21. And it really just talks about the essence of what God wants to do with our not-so-perfect stories and the mess and the heartbreak and the hurts and the addictions and the divorces and all that stuff. Here's what he says. In Revelation 21.3, the, the scriptures will be on the screen also for you. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued. And this is what I want you to hold on to and look at. Look, I'm making everything new. Write it all down, each word dependable and accurate. I love some versions say, behold, I am making all things new. And whenever the Bible says the word behold, it's always there because it's sort of setting up the fact that what it's about to say next, the next sentence that's going to follow the word behold is not going to make any sense whatsoever. So it's like, behold, I am making all things new. And you're like, what you talking about, Willis? Like, that, that's cray-cray. I don't understand that at all. That, that, that makes no sense whatsoever. Maybe you remember in the Bible where the Bible says, behold, the virgin will give birth. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. And, and, and the, the writer of Scripture is saying, yeah, I know. That's why I put the word behold there. Because this is crazy. And as you think about your story, as you think about your life, as you think about the circumstances, as you think about your history, you're going like, God, how can you make this new? This feels so broken and shattered and messy and ugly and shameful. And, and I'm so embarrassed by it. Like, God, how are you going to infuse new meaning and purpose into this? Well, he does. If you trust him, if you place it in his hands, you know, you know, with God, our, our past doesn't disqualify us. And with God, our current circumstances do not define us. And with God, our weaknesses are not our limits. Because behold, he is making all things new. I love the story of Elizabeth Henson. Elizabeth Henson was doing some spring cleaning and was getting rid of some things. And she grabbed this green jacket, this fuzzy yucky, smelly, uh, green jacket that she had no use for that was out of style and, and smelled bad and it had holes in it. And so she grabbed this jacket and she, was, she just wanted to get rid of it. And so she was taking it out to the garage to throw it away. And her son stops her and says, hey, mom, can I have that jacket? And Elizabeth Henson looks at her son and, and she says like, I guess, I don't know what you're gonna do with it. it it's, it's yucky, it's got holes, it's smelly. I don't know what you want this for, but if you want it, you can have it. And so Elizabeth Henson gives her son the green jacket and her son takes the jacket and he's excited and he, he goes into his little workshop and he begins to, he gets out a pair of scissors and he begins to cut out this little frog body. And then gets this little ping pong ball 
And he cuts this ping pong ball in half to make eyes for the little frog body. And Elizabeth Henson's son was named Jim. And Jim Henson was making the very first Kermit the Frog. There he is. True story, by the way. True story. And, and can you imagine if, if Jim didn't have a vision for that, that coat? See, Elizabeth said, ah, throw it away. No use. Ugly, gross, has holes in it. Stinks, out of style, out of fashion. Throw it away. But Jim said, no, 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 no. I can do something with that. And so he crafted out of that green coat, this green, ugly coat, this beautiful frog who has brought us joy and laughter, like literally to millions and millions of people. Like, can you imagine the world without Kermit the Frog? Like, can you? This, this my friends, is a world I don't want to live in, okay? Like Kermit, he's, he's had his own TV show and his own movie, and he, he sang that, that song Rainbow Connection on the, the swamp with his little banjo, which I don't know, that was awesome. And he got nominated for an Academy Award for that song, by the way. And he's, he's, he's an amazing character and an amazing frog who's, who's helped children learn how to spell and read. And, and listen, I get it. I totally get it. His love life with Miss Piggy is in shambles. I get that, all right? You know, we're not perfect. But, but can you imagine the world without Kermit the Frog? Can you imagine if somebody didn't have a vision for that green coat that says, hey, let me, let me turn that into something new. That's what God wants to do with you. That's what he wants to do with your mistakes. That's what I, I dedicate my life to is coming alongside people and say, listen, listen, here's the truth. Your, your setbacks are your superpowers. You don't need to be ashamed anymore. You need to leverage your pain for the kingdom. You know, I, I, I teach people, and I do these workshops and teach people on how to embrace their stories and also to help other hurting people. And, and I always, always tell them, it's like, because of what you went through, because of that valley experience, because of that pain that you have felt, because of that addiction and that struggle and that depression and that anxiety and because of that miscarriage and, and whatever you have gone through, the pain, the ache in your heart, that has qualified you to step into other people's pain. It's given you a new authority it's given you a new understanding. It's hopefully because of what we have gone through, it's made our heart more empathetic and compassionate and loving. And sometimes you don't understand how much uh, strength you have and how much possibility you are loaded up with to impact hurting people in the world. So you've just been telling yourself, oh, I'll just go stand on the sidelines. I'm disqualified. I don't belong. If they found out what I did, man, they, they would reject me. They would laugh at me. They wouldn't want me around anymore. And so we hide our stories instead of leverage our stories. Your setbacks are your superpowers. And one of the things that just, I, I feel like when I'm talking with people, I just want to look at them and I want to grab them and I want to look them in the eye and say like, don't you know who you are? 
Don't you know what Jesus has done for you? Don't you know that you don't have to live in that pit anymore? You don't have to live with that shame anymore. You don't have to be defined by that 13-year-old experience anymore or that boating accident anymore. You are not an old, stinky, green coat. You are... You are free. You are forgiven. You are a child of the king. You, you, you are the sons and daughters of God. Like, do you not know who you are? Because when you know who you are, when you have that sense of purpose and identity, God wants to release you into the world to help other hurting people. That's the goal. That's the mission. That's why our pain matters. And so... And so I want to I give you a new strategy this morning. I want to I just give you a, kind of a new mission as you think about your life and your story and when you fully occupy all the mess and all the glory and, and all the depravity and all the holiness and, and all the brokenness and all the beautiful things that make you who you are. And, and the strategy is this. It's called tiny greatness. Everybody say the word tiny. Everybody say the word greatness. Right, this is our new strategy. See, we need more people, more not so perfect people to go out there with this strategy. And tiny greatness is basically, I am going to love people in big, small, large, medium size, whatever size kind of love expression that looks like. I'm gonna do my best to just bring light and to amplify hope in people's lives and to, to just, just be in the mix of, of just loving people well. Tiny greatness. And yeah, the, the, it may never be on the front page of the news or we may never make a, a video for it here at Northridge, but, but, but God sees it. And when God sees it, he gives you a standing ovation. It matters to him. In fact, the Bible's really clear about this. Matthew 25 it just whole, talks about this whole idea of the sheep and the goats and, and God basically unpacks this stuff. Like when I was hungry, when I was in prison, when I was in thirsty, when I was alone. And he, and he was like making this list of things that seem insignificant to most of our society. But he says, when you did those things to others, you were doing it for me. You were doing it on my behalf. When you... To, when you saw the overlooked, when you met with the marginalized, when you gave a hug to that stranger, when you just spent a few minutes with, with somebody at work and just encouraged them, it mattered to God. Tiny greatness, tiny greatness. I love this passage in, uh, in Romans 8, Romans 8, 15. It says this, it says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? What's next, Papa? Too many of us right now are living grave-tending lives, mostly because we feel we're disqualified. We feel like we're not enough. We feel like we don't have what it takes because we're, we're, we're living in this old self or we're living under the, the, the shame of that old green smelly jacket instead of saying, believing God's promise that he is making all things new. I wanna ask you a question. Did you wake up this morning and did you say, what's next, Papa? Did you have this sense of anticipation how God was gonna use you today? 
If you didn't, I, I want to encourage you to start practicing tiny greatness, to start practicing and start showing up in our, in our world where you say, you know, God, use me. I am enough. I am your child. Yeah, I, I, I basically believe that you, you and I are just, we're, we're called to be grace-flavored snow cones in a hot, judgmental world. Like that, that's kind of our, our new passion, our new mission, because there's so much pain and so much judgment and so much condemnation out there. Like you and I, we're going to be snow cones. And we're going to like refresh people's lives and refresh their hearts and, and, and remind them that they are loved. What a great purpose. What a great calling for our lives. I love the story of uh, a kid named Chris Bucks. And Chris was in elementary school, and he, uh, he saw on this playground that there was some kids who didn't have friends, that they were lonely, and at recess time, they just didn't have anybody to play with. And uh, Chris said, I, I want to do something about this. And so he goes to the principal, Principal Miller, and he pitches this idea. He says, hey, Principal Miller, what if we put out a, a bench in the, the middle of the playground? And we would uh, uh, have this bench be a place, like if you needed a friend or you needed somebody to talk to, you could just go sit down on that bench. And then we would announce to all the, the other students that if you ever saw anybody sitting on that bench, that that." someone would need to go sit on that bench with that person and talk with them, whether, whether it be a student or a volunteer or a teacher, that they would go sit on the bench with that person. So anytime somebody sat down, there'd always be somebody who would come and sit next to them. Principal Miller loved the idea, so they, they th rolled out the idea uh, and, and told all the teachers, told all the, the students, and, and they put out this little bench in the middle of the playground, and they called it the friendship bench. And it was a raging success. It's used all the time. In fact, it, it was so much of a success that now over 2,000 playgrounds have a friendship bench on them. Because Chris saw a need. Chris was willing to practice tiny greatness. You know what I believe? I, I, I don't know this is true of the story, but I bet it's true. I bet there were some times when Chris was on the playground and he had felt lonely and that he wished maybe there was a bench that he could go sit on. See, maybe out of your own pain and of your own loss that, that God wants to birth a new idea or a new vision or a new solution where you could help heal the world, just like Chris. Think about my father-in-law. My father-in-law is 80, 80 years old. He's He's lived a long time. He's raised a great family and has been married to his, his wife, my mother-in-law, for like 60 years. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. This man's lived an incredible life. And, you know, when you're 80 years old, I, I kind of have this, this theory that, man, you could do whatever you want, right? If you want to watch Judge Judy for the rest of your life, go for it, all right? Because you've, you've, you've put in 80 good years, but, but my father-in-law is not doing that. He's, my father-in-law is practicing tiny greatness. And you know how he's doing it? He, he's building uh, these little jewelry boxes uh, for foster kids who have nothing. And, and so he builds over 50 of these little jewelry boxes every year. And it's a little jewelry box that they can paint and, and color and put different things on it and decorate it the way they want. And he goes down to Home Depot and he buys all the wood 
And he, he brings it into his, his workshop and he cuts all the wood and he glues it all together. And, and it's super uh, time consuming. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of work. Again, he's 80 years old, but he's so committed to it. He's so passionate about this idea of tiny greatness and he knows the impact that it's gonna make. And, and some of us may say, well, hey, it's just a jewelry box, right? Not that big, big of a deal, but, but let me tell you, it's a big deal. So I don't know where you're at, but, but, but where could you express tiny greatness? Where could God use your not-so-perfect story? What things might be uh, brewing inside of you from your own story, from your own pain, from your own brokenness? It's like, God, I want to do something. Maybe you've been through a messy divorce, so you want to just help other couples who are going through uh, marriage issues or, or maybe have just suffered their own divorce. Maybe you've struggled with, with alcohol or addiction and, and you've been in, in recovery and sobriety for several years. Maybe, maybe it's now time to give back and, and help others find sobriety. Maybe it's you just, you have a, a van, a big van, and you can just help people get to church. Tiny greatness, tiny greatness all over the place. That's how we change the world. And not only that's how we change the world, that's how we change our hearts. That's how we, we, we really step into the freedom that God wants for us. I'm not a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. I'm not disqualified. I'm not just an old green jacket. My wife and I um, went to Disneyland a couple years ago, and as sort of a little treat, we went with my wife and her two teenage kids. Uh, we ended up booking a, a room at the Disneyland Hotel. So we went to the park all day and then went over to the hotel to check into the room. And we got up to the front desk and we got our keys. We were all very excited about this. And, and we, we then went over to the elevator and we got into the elevator. And another couple got into the elevator with us and the, the doors closed. And I'm kind of I'm kind of a curious guy in general. I'm kind of looking at people like you know, hey, hey. And and so I look at the the guy, one of the guys in the elevator, and I go like, give him a head nod, like, yeah, long day at Disneyland, right, boy? I'm not sure that's the happiest place on earth, but hey, it was it was good. <laughs> um, and anybody who's ever been to Disneyland, you can just know like a day at Disneyland means complete and utter exhaustion, right? It's a long day. And so um, he's kind of looking tired. And then I look at this lady standing next to my wife, literally shoulder to shoulder, right next to my wife. And, and you're not going to believe who's standing there right next to her, my wife, this lady. This lady was Sandra Bullock. And so now Sandra Bullock is standing right next to Mrs. Foster. And I, I'm going to have to make a confession in church. I'm try, I've been trying to be honest all this whole service. Let me be even more honest. I love Sandra Bullock, okay? Huge fan. And so when I saw her standing there, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. We're having a moment here. This is so cool. And I, I, I got so excited. I was like this fanboy. I was like this little boy. Like, oh, my gosh. I just wanted to reach out and touch her and hug her and, and stroke her hair and, and all this stuff. And it's like, I just wanted to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Like, forget my wife. She's invisible right now. She, I love you, Sandra Bullock. And I, listen, I did not do that, okay? I, 
I wanted to do that, but I did not do that because our society has this thing called boundaries, right? And that would cross a boundary. But I wanted to do that. I was so excited. And so I, I didn't hug her, but I was now trying to get my wife's attention. I said, Jennifer, look, look, it's, it's Sandra Bullock. And my wife's not, not picking up on any of the vibes. I'm kind of like, mm, look, look, look. She's, and she's just missing out. I don't know if she may be just tired or whatever. And, and so now I start to talk to my kids and trying to get my kids' attention to say, hey, look, Hollywood royalty right here, Oscar winner right here, standing in the elevator with the foster family. It's going to be our greatest moment ever as a family. Please look. And my kids are teenagers. So my kids are doing what teenagers always do whenever they have a spare moment. My teenagers are what? Looking at their cell phones. Right. That's right. I had a friend of mine, very good friend. He says, you know what, Mike? You should have just group texted your family and told them <laughs> that Sandra Bullock was there. I'm like, brilliant. So we get out of the elevator. Sandra and the other guy stay on the elevator. They go up to their floor, doors close. I look at my wife and my kids. I say, did you see who was with us? See who was on the elevator with us? like, no, who was on the elevator with us? I'm like, well, it, it was Sandra freaking Bullock on the elevator with us. And you missed it. You missed it. I think there's a lot of those kind of moments that happen in our lives. Not just, you know, seeing Sandra, but, but there's things that are maybe right in front of you. Opportunities. Things where God's like, man, let me wow you right now. Let me surprise you right now. Some of you have been just so resistant to God's love. It's like he puts it right there in front. He's like, it's yours for the taking. Do you want a second chance? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want freedom? It's right there. Do you want it? Maybe he's saying like, do you want a do-over? You want that green coat of yours turned into something wonderful? Your opportunity is right here. It's right in front of you. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're struggling with this whole idea that, that God can't make all things new. Or maybe that he can only make some things new. Maybe you believe that grace is only for some people, maybe for them, but not for you. And so just in this moment, I want to give you an opportunity just to say, like, maybe today is the day that you give your life to Christ, where you accept the thing that's right in front of you, the forgiveness that he offers. Maybe just quietly in your heart right now, you just say, God, I, I want to make you Lord. I want to make you my Savior. I, I, want, I want Jesus to be uh, the ruler of my life. I don't want to carry this pain anymore. And some of you this morning, maybe you have, uh, you've been coming to church for a while and maybe you just have felt um, partial freedom, partial grace. Maybe there's things in your life that you haven't quite surrendered yet and you want to just rededicate your life to God. It's quietly in your heart to say, God, I, 
I want to try this again. I want to release these things to you. God, I, uh, I thank you for those who are just doing some heart work right now. Who are thinking about their own stories and thinking about their own lives and knowing that we just can't do it without you. We pray for courage and bravery. God, help us to, to, to live out lives of tiny greatness. God, let us never step back because we're ashamed, but let us step forward because we're bold and because we belong to you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for being the God of second chances. And it's in your son's name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. All right, so before we dismiss, if you have made a decision, if you maybe for the first time have uh, said, God, I want to make you uh, uh, the ruler of my life. Make sure in your little program here to fill out the connect card and just check the box at the bottom. You'll see the box at the bottom that says, I made a decision to follow Christ. Um, or if maybe you needed to rededicate your life this morning, check that box and then make sure to tear that off and drop this uh, little card in the boxes on your way out. And if you're watching online, make sure just to hit the what's next button to take that next step. And I also wanna, as, as we do every week, we're gonna have people down here, if you need prayer, if you just need somebody to talk to, need somebody to uh, pray over you, there's gonna be some people down here, just come down after the service, they would love to pray with you. And then finally, just a, a small little announcement. Everywhere I go, um, I always uh, bring some resources with me and it's, it's for a good, good purpose and I love doing this because um, one of the things that we do at People of the Second Chance is we work in uh, prisons and, and with inmates all across the country. And so out here uh, in the lobby area, I brought a, a couple of my books and these are just really some, really an extension of some of the things that I talked about today. And uh, maybe you're just needing to work through your story, maybe you need to work through some of the pain and uh, loss in your life, or maybe you have a friend who just needs some encouragement. This little book bundle, you get two books uh, for $20, and those are gonna be out in the back. And it's not so much, you also get a little People of the Second Chance sticker too with, with the book. And, um, but here's how it works. When you buy one of these, that funds one prison care kit. So every bundle that you buy, that pays for a prison, prison care kit. And in, in the kit, there's a Bible, there's a little workbook to help them uh, work through some of the issues of their life and usually something fun like donuts or some sweet, something that they actually want to get. <laughs> and, uh, um, we, and we've literally handed out thousands and thousands of these over uh, the past couple of years. And it's just where my heart is. It's, I mean, it, honestly, it's the epitome of tiny greatness, right? Just a, it's just a little thing, but but to just to remind people that they're not alone, that we're not giving up on them. And so our goal this weekend is to uh, fund 300 care kits for these inmates. So if you want the books, you take the books with you, 20 bucks, and that funds the care kit. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for letting me be with you guys today. I love you. I will be praying for, me, for you in San Diego, uh, especially during the wintertime. Um, <laughs> but uh, it has been a pleasure and an honor to be with you. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your day.